Welcome to a 15-minute matrix replay that I think you'll enjoy listening to with fresh ears if it is indeed a repeat for you. But I also know we have many new listeners to the 15-minute matrix. And when I look back over the years that we've been producing this podcast, there have been so many rich conversations that I worry are buried and out of your reach. So through the end of the year, I'll be resurrecting some of my favorite episodes mixed with some new golden gems so that we can all revisit these important topics together. So let's get listening. Hello, this is Dr. Jill Krista, and today we'll be mapping pans, pandas on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with Dr. Jill Krista. Dr. Jill is a nationally recognized educator on neuroinflammatory conditions. She's on a mission to transform the way we manage autoimmune diseases of the brain, such as pandas and pans. Research is lifting the veil so that we now understand these are physical illnesses with mental health symptoms. As a naturopathic doctor and pans parent, she combines the latest scientific findings with her real-world experience of being in the trenches. She's inspired to bring help and hope to those working with pandas and pans kids. Dr. Jill just released her first book for sufferers of mold sickness called Break the Mold, Five Tools to Conquer Mold and Take Back Your Health. And we'll link to that book in the show notes along with other resources that you're not going to want to miss after tuning in to our discussion. Hi, Dr. Jill. I'm super excited to have you here and to talk about this important topic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm equally very excited to share what I've learned about this condition. I recently had dinner with some colleagues and they asked what I was doing. I said, I'm working on post-infectious autoimmune encephalitis syndromes like pandas. And they said, I thought that was debunked. So I thought, wow, this is really important that I'm helping to get the word out. It is important to get the word out. And I'm seeing more and more of the students in the Functional Nutrition Lab community seeing cases that are identified as pandas or pans. And I'm wondering if first you can explain to us what is this condition or what is the umbrella speaking to? I consider it an umbrella diagnosis underneath the umbrella of post-infectious autoimmune encephalitis. So that includes pandas, pans, autoimmune encephalitis, that might be an MDA receptor condition, and there's a newer identified one, neuropsych-associated symptoms with Lyme disease. It's the burgeoning diagnosis syndrome (laughs) where we're trying to figure out what are the diagnostic criteria, who fits in which category. There's a tie that binds all of them, and that is that there's an infection that's triggered, there's an antecedent state that can trigger this autoimmune reaction that affects the brain and the neurological system, the gut. We also see it in the kidneys, Mm. which we're familiar with, with strep, if we're gonna talk about pandas. And that has 
specific diagnostic criteria. So the major diagnostic criteria that has to be there is onset of OCD, which I think of as really more compulsions. That could be intrusive thoughts or compulsions. That doesn't necessarily mean repeated hand washing, like some of us would associate OCD. That onset and or tics. Mm. And those could be vocal tics, those could be motor tics. And there are some arguing among the researchers about what tics tell you which condition is it. It kind of doesn't matter to us in practice because that doesn't change how we're going to treat them. The age of onset needs to be for pandas specifically between three years and puberty. But pans, you can see a pans kid, I think of it more as the teenage onset. Got it. So that's a lot right there for us to unpack in keeping and thinking about the matrix. And one thing I'd love for you to talk into is what do we know about the antecedents? Are there known markers or known things that we should be considering? I think that what I've seen the most in practice is some level of immune deficiency, and that could be congenital or acquired. Mm-hmm. Congenital would be an IgG subclass deficiency. Those are a little tricky because if you're living a good, clean life, a functional medicine type life, you may not ever display symptoms from that deficiency until whammo, suddenly you have puberty onset or your family has moved and bad diet or something like that. And that can trigger this. So I see some level of the acquired immune deficiency is in our society, you can't stay home when you're sick. Right. Your kids can't stay home when they're sick. So we get these worn out kids, they don't sleep, they have poor diets, and then you know more sedentary. So you don't get the immune boosting that you might see before there were all of these sad lifestyles that we have. So when we move then towards this central part of the matrix or what I call the soup, I know you've done a bit of mapping on your end. Do we start in the immune and inflammatory balance because that's one of the root places that we need to be looking at here? Being that it's infectious induced, our number one thing is to manage those triggering events. The infections that are associated with all post-infectious autoimmune encephalitis syndromes are strep, obviously with pandas. You can also see Lyme disease, mycoplasma, Epstein-Barr, Coxsackie. All of these infections can then trigger the event. So where you start is prevention. And we're in a real pickle as practitioners of to treat or not to treat. Right. With antibiotics or to treat with natural medicines and boosting the immune system or immune modulation. There was recently a study in Denmark that showed a 40% increased risk if a major infection was treated with antibiotics. Hmm. So what are we supposed to do? So I think, you know, what we do is we watch, we watch the research. And if you have comfort with using herbal medicine to treat infections, go for it. But I think what is inherent in that study is that if you're using antibiotics, you may not be doing all the other things in the soup. Right that you need to be doing. And I think that that's the piece that's not spoken about is so critically important. So as far as preventing infection, not only the systemic infection management, but the tie that binds all of these immune encephalitis syndromes is that their entry is through the olfactory bulb. Right. And the gut. So we know now how to guard the gates. We see activated microglia in the olfactory bulb in the forebrain, which is just above the cribriform plate, the ethmoid sinus. If you can get a kid doing regular nose guarding <laughs> through nasal sprays with colloidal silver or essential oils or something that will be managing that milieu, good old-fashioned saltwater gargles. So we want to protect that gate and then strengthen the gut gate 
being that they have obviously a good diet, but if it has been worn away with pesticides and things like mold, then they have food allergies that can also cross-react and cause this. Dr. Datis Karazian. Karazian, thank you. <laughs> he just presented some very interesting research on eggs. Yeah. And how they are creating this cross-reactivity that looks like a panda syndrome. He's always identifying really interesting cross-reactive foods. It just reminds me, Dr. Jill, and what you're speaking to here is how important a functional approach is. Because when we're looking for that quick fix, whether it's naturopathic or those antibiotics, and we're not looking at the whole, we may be actually doing harm and needing to do some more holistic resolution to help especially these children. These kids are under chronic neuropsych stress. The neuropsych symptoms that we see associated with these conditions are anxiety. Almost always they have anxiety. So if you think about what that would be like living under chronic anxiety from an internal intrinsic source, there's nothing they can do about it they're not anxious because they're about to go up on stage and speak. They're right. anxious because of an internal inflammation. Mm. So they also end up extremely adrenally depleted. The other neuropsych symptoms, you know, then you see all the things that go from that. You see emotional liability. You might see irritability, aggression. A lot of times you'll see behavioral regression. So they become overattached to a parent or to their bedroom. You might notice it as a sudden deterioration in school. And then you can see some motor or sensory abnormalities, but there are also goofy somatic symptoms that come along with it, like chronic abdominal pain, hmm. sleep issues. I think that has to do with the adrenals. But you also see urinary frequency because of some damage to the kidneys. So this is not a bad parenting position. Right. Right. It's your kids who have inflammation in their brain. And our target of treatment is not only reducing that inflammation, but also managing the excessive neurotransmitters that are being secreted in reaction to that immune assault. So I definitely want to look more at treatment approaches with you. But before we do, walk us through a little bit more of the soup. You talked about environmental inputs a bit with the mold. Is there anything else? And I'm sure the answer is yes, because this is such a complex condition. But is there anything else that is of key importance that you want practitioners to be on the alert about? These are kids who are going to be very sensitive to pesticide use. The gut is really the connector of this whole condition, being that the majority of our immune system and the majority of our brain chemistry is made in the gut. The gut has to be where we... we right. And pesticides just completely wreak havoc on the gut. Yeah. So yes, mold and also EMFs. These kids are very sensitive to those electromagnetic frequencies. So that would be, I think, an environmental piece where you can really work on prevention and limiting the morbid influences on the body. Let's head over to that right side, what I call the skills of the matrix. And of course, there are different interventions based on somebody's scope of practice, but in each of these areas, what are your primary considerations? From the sleep and relaxation mode, the sleep is really hard for them to get regulated. Mm -hmm. um, again, because of that chronic, we're under attack, we're under attack, we're under attack. That's mm -hmm. a sent to the, the signals in their brain. So teaching them how to move out of that tortured state through breath work is so important. They need this skill. A lot of times people are sending kids with these 
conditions to CBT or cognitive behavioral therapy. And that is very helpful, but the way that that is approached is almost militaristic and can create more breathing problems and anxiety. So I think making sure that that breath work is really in place and that that tuning into themselves and saying, yes, absolutely, you feel like this, you feel unsafe because your brain, the survival part of your brain is under attack. That takes us to the exercise and movement piece by getting enough exercise. And I have seen in practice that aerobic exercise is more beneficial than anaerobic with these Mm. kids. And I'm not sure what the mechanism is there, but definitely when we get enough aerobic exercise. And I think it probably has to do with just getting cerebral respiration, you know, trying to oxygen up to the brain. Yeah. But one caution is because of the dopamine excess, they will be more prone and interested in extremism. A dopamine excess causes extreme behavior. Hmm. There is a dopamine dysregulation associated with this condition because the immune system attacks the dopamine receptors they will be more interested and engaged in things that are going to feel a little more extreme. So an example of this would be rather than let's go for a run, let's race. Mm -hmm. Rather than let's jump rope, okay, can you jump off this rock? Use the inflammation and the excess dopamine for them instead of against them. And that also can help with supporting the healing of the adrenals too, a little bit of that burst um, exercise. And I didn't say back in the sleep section, I like to use melatonin. It's a little tricky. There's a lot of discussion in our world of whether to use melatonin with children or not because it's such a ruler. But these kids are not in a balanced state. They need the brain inflammation aid that melatonin can offer. They're under chronic oxidative stress. So using melatonin, I like to use a little bit at the onset of sleep. I like to use an immediate and a sustained release, two separate ones. melatonin won't keep you asleep. So you can get that kind of continuous sleep impulse through the night. And are you starting low and going slow with that dosing dependent on the child and their response? Yeah, and quite low. I like to use the drops and spray that we can really modulate that dosing. I'm sure there is a tremendous amount to do in the nutrition arena, do you have any go-tos or is it really about looking at the inflammatory agents for that particular child? Well, starting with hydration for sure, because of the kidney issues, I think it's in the glomerulus, although I was trying to find studies on this and nobody's really studying it, but we know with other post-strep sequelae, we can see glomerular nephritis. So Mm -hmm. I think is a glomerular issue. These kids end up getting really dehydrated because if they are going to school, which many of them can't, they're running to the bathroom all the time. And so they'll stop drinking water. Hmm. Of the very first things that I do is I get them on spring water, not reverse osmosis, not filtered, because you want those electrolytes to hold the water in a little bit better and assist the kidneys in their struggle. Getting them hydrated is number one. And then vegetables, 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 vegetables. All the oxidative stress (laughs) to be dealt with there through those antioxidants. Quick question about the hydration. You mentioned, you know, excessive urination. Do you Mm -hmm. see a higher rate of bedwetting in this population? Yep. Enuresis is a big problem. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that is the only thing that will be the triggering. When I look back, they say, you know what? That's when there were more tantrums. That's when they started picking on the dog or the cat. 
and they were wetting their bed. And all the talk goes toward bullying, which is good to rule out. But here it was a post-infectious autoimmune encephalitis. So stress is a huge factor. You talked about breathing, about sleep. Is there anything else that you would bring in that helps with the nervous system relaxation? One of the things that we can do by trying to be well-meaning, we can actually make the situation worse by reducing the dopamine. This dopamine dysregulation is really a great target for treatment. By doing that, then you take away the chronic dopamine overload, which can increase the anxiety and the stress. So obviously, you know, all of the things we would do for adrenals, I'm seeing that, and not all of my colleagues agree with me, but there are two things that we tend to give these kids because they have neuroinflammation. And in a well-meaning way, we could actually be making that dopamine dysregulation worse by using turmeric and boswellia. Hmm. Both of those can increase dopamine. So if the kid is in a flare, I avoid those. They might be okay plants later to restore the dopamine, but when they're in a flare, I don't use those. I like to go to more the Bical skullcap because it has all the anti-inflammatory aspects without increasing the dopamine. It actually regulates some of those relaxing neurotransmitters. And then there are other plants that we can use for dopamine regulation, and that reduces the overall strep situation. And then good old laughter. Mm. These are kids who are deeply socially isolated. They are too sick neuropsych-wise to go to school. They do get bullied at school, so often they are taken out of school. And parents are freaked out. They're in constant stress. Like I said, their brain messages are, I'm under attack, I'm not safe. I'm under attack, I'm not safe. So anything you can do to get that kid laughing. I don't care if it's Three Stooges or... Mm -hmm. (laughs) Tickling. Yeah, Yeah, they've lost that joy Mm -hmm. and that social connection. So using online social networks, school interfaces, using our technology for the benefit of these kids to keep them socially connected and enjoy. Before I let you go, can you just talk a little bit about getting an appropriate diagnosis? Because we were speaking earlier about people thinking that PANS doesn't even exist. So where do we go and where as practitioners do we advocate our clients and patients go for a proper diagnosis? That's the big question. (laughs) All of these conditions are still clinical diagnoses. So there are diagnostic criteria out there for PANDAS, PANS, AE. There are a group of Lyme treating doctors that are trying to determine the diagnostic criteria of the post-Lyme neuropsych conditions, but it's really clinical still at this Mm -hmm. point. There are some labs that can be helpful, and I would say that being that the antecedents are immune deficiency, it's really good to run a full IGAM, a full IgG, A, M, E, all the subclasses Mm -hmm. for A, all the subclasses for G, know what you're dealing with. I like to run natural killer cell function and total count. Function is kind of an odd duck. If that is off, then we know that we have some sort of a biotoxin causing problems for that person's immune system too. So taking a good hard look at the immune system, looking for T and B cell deficiencies, all of that, because if you can fortify the immune system, which I like to use 
all kinds of different things that we have so many tools. Yes. Uh, but my favorite is thymus gland because I think that there is some in utero thymus destruction either through toxicity or who knows what's going on in utero. I'm seeing that that really fortifies these kids and it makes them more hardy. And then there is a Cunningham panel which can look at some of the antibodies and anti-gangliocyte antibodies. There are some neuro panels that we can do. They're not diagnostic at this point. We're working on it. Really, really smart people are working to make a diagnostic test or lab that we can do. There are also strep tests that we can do, like an ASO, anti-DNASB, strep design, some of those tests, and then the Lyme group. Right. As we have Lyme disease, the testing's terrible. Yes, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So yeah, I would say we're still in the pickle of this is a clinical diagnosis. And in a way, it's even a bigger pickle because nobody can seem to agree on what the diagnostic criteria are. So think of it globally. Yes. Um, think of it as post-infectious autoimmune encephalitis. Take a full look at those diagnostic criteria. And if you have a kid or a teen, or I've even seen adults with pandas, and they don't fit every one of those diagnostic criteria, but they serve you know, quack like a duck and look like a duck. Right. Treat it like an autoimmune encephalitis. Brilliant, Dr. Jill. Thank you again for your time and more importantly for the work that you're doing to really bring this to the public consciousness and give us ways to work with it. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks for this opportunity. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes my son, Gilbert Nakayama, now joined by Carla Schaefer on sound production, Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there's a new podcast episode, please go to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to drop into your inbox with a really short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You have an open invitation to email us. We want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15-Minute Matrix. You can always email us at ask at 15minutematrix.com.